Hello, listeners. Welcome to PR Hangover. I'm Emma Nelson, and you're listening to a public relations podcast brought to you by Grand Valley State University's PRSSA chapter. Grab a cup of coffee, relax, and get ready to talk all things PR. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to PR Hangover. Today, our guest is Mr. Jason Falls. Jason, welcome. Thank you, Emma. Great to be here. If you just want to start off and give us a little introduction about yourself. Sure. So uh, I guess, you know, the the way to sort of walk into this with everyone is I'm a PR guy by trade. Um, I spent about 15 years uh, in college athletics PR, so athletic media relations, sports information. And then in the mid-2000s, I shifted over into uh, mainstream advertising marketing PR and started working with clients who were very interested in blogs and social networks and social media. So I started advising them on that just because I had used those personally and whatnot. And, and that kind of evolved into me being more of a digital strategist. Um, and I've, you know, uh, taken some of the learnings and some of the case studies that I've been able to produce and that I've, you know, watched other people produce over the years and written a few books. And my latest one is focused on influencer marketing. It's called Winfluence, Reframing Influencer Marketing to Ignite Your Brand. And I think it's got some good ideas for folks. At first, if you just want to describe your work at Cornet and kind of what you do on the daily basis. Sure. So my title is technically Senior Influence Strategist, um, which is, uh, you know, kind of aligned with the book and the influence marketing stuff that, that I that I do on a, on a regular basis. But I oversee a team, uh, basically our, our digital engagement and content team. So we create social media content uh, for a number of clients, uh, everything from, you know, pins on Pinterest to tweets to Instagram stories to YouTube videos, etc., um, but we're a full service advertising agency. So our clients are, have a much larger footprint than what uh, my team does for them. But we are sort of the social and digital arm uh, of owned and earned media uh, that they are producing. Um, and so uh, what I typically uh, do is I've got the team that sort of does the operational you know, types of things. But I work with our clients and our team, our creative team within Cornette to create the content and, you know, get it through the approvals and make sure that it's, you know, focused on the brand goals and the pillars of content that we've built for each of the of the brands um, and, you know, kind of keep the trains running. Uh, but from a, a higher level perspective, I try to keep an eye out for trends and opportunities to build more uh, creative digital strategies for our brands, which includes influence marketing, but it might also include, you know, other digital things that are happening that they need to take advantage of. How do you make sure that your client's marketing or content stands out? Because I'm sure you have lots on your plate. So how do you how do you just make sure that it's catered to them and not like everyone else? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it really goes, you know, to the what I would call the efficacy of your strategy. So you start out with really understanding each brand intimately and understanding the the ultimate audience that they're trying to reach. Um, and so if you can you make sure that your content and the different pillars of content that you create, like for one brand, we might have a pillar that's all focused on the quality of their product. And a second pillar might be 
um, it, that their their product is very powerful. So there's sort of themes that kind of go into the content strategies we create. As long as your uh, your your brand and the audience or the content is aligned with the brand and the audience and, and the ultimate goal, the ultimate thing you're trying to persuade the audience to do, um, then you you're probably going to be pretty good at creating concepts and creating content uh, that sort of stays within the guardrails of what's really right for them. Um, the biggest m mistake I think a lot of brands make when they're creating social content kind of alludes to your question of they just kind of create stuff that's good for social, not necessarily stuff that's also good for the brand or the brand's audience. So it really is all about alignment. And it's not so much putting guardrails and handcuffs on yourself, but it's at, at least keeping your purview focused on the audience and the brand so that those are all in alignment. So, you know, for a bourbon brand that we work with, we're going to have a lot different viewpoint on how we create content than we would say uh, Toyota Motor Manufacturing's, you know, tourism destination visitor experience at their plant in Georgetown, Kentucky. Completely different world, completely different audience, completely different purposes. So we want to be creative with social and digital content, but it has to be really within the, the purview of aligning with the brand. And then kind of like following that track of challenges and things like that, what have been the biggest kind of like setbacks in your career or things that you've had to accommodate to um, or get used to just working in the industry firsthand? Well, I mean, right now, the last couple of years for me, it's it's all the, the Instagram stories and TikToks because I got fat thumbs and I don't like creating on a phone. But, uh, but beyond that, you know, I really think the, the challenges or the setbacks, I don't, I wouldn't call them setbacks. Challenges are also opportunities if you just look at them from a different angle. And the opportunities for me have always been adjusting with consumer behavior because, you know, five years ago, there wasn't really a, a big, you know, Instagram and TikTok weren't a big deal. You know, you were, you were dealing with Facebook and Twitter, um, maybe LinkedIn, you know, 10 years ago, uh, influencers were, were bloggers, right? It wasn't, there wasn't a such thing as influencers. It was blogger outreach and blogger relations. And so the, the biggest challenge um, it has been adjusting and adapting to consumer behavior and the technology trends so that you can keep your clients plugged into um, you know, the right channels to reach their customers. We live in a world where the media landscape changes daily. And that is completely the antithesis of what most public relations professionals have been, you know, sort of trained in school up until about 10 years ago uh, to deal with because technology and, and media channels didn't change very much until the 1980s. When the internet came along, all of a sudden we had a different world. And so that world is not slowing down anytime soon. So that's the biggest thing you have to watch out for as a communications professional is staying on top of the technologies. You can no longer age out of it. Like I'm, I'm almost 50 years old and I probably know TikTok as well as a lot of 20 year olds because I have to. It's not because I necessarily like the platform. I quite frankly don't. And I don't really, you know, I don't really understand why people do sometimes, but I have to know it because I have to stay on top of that for our clients. And then that kind of falls into my next question, which is put it to put it simply, how do trends affect your job? So I know that's pretty broad, but give us your take on that. 
Yeah. So it depends on what the trends are. Like a really good example is, you know, 2020 was just a weird year for everyone. Um, not just the pandemic, but, you know, all of the social unrest with, you know, the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor incidents, the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of brands for the really for the first time were taking a step into that sort of social issues and taking a stand and drawing a line and saying, hey, we we're with the people who are protesting. Uh, you know, this issue. And that's, that was an unusual change. Uh, that was a trend that happened last year that uh, PR people, for the most part, never really dealt with on a, on a big scale like that. Um, and so what that has resulted in is we've entered a new era, I think, of communication strategy and public relations where companies are, they now have permission and, and sometimes are almost expected by their audiences to take a stand on certain issues. And so that's a fine line uh, to walk because there are some companies out there that pr produce products and services that maybe are, you know, more appealing to a very conservative audience. And maybe they don't feel like taking a stand on issues is, is the right move. Or maybe it's the opposite thing. Maybe their products or services appeal to a particularly liberal audience. And just to throw out a crazy example, so like the difference between conservative and liberal type products, not that there's a political affiliation with products, but if you're a gun manufacturer, your audience is, is going to be more conservative. If you're a CBD oil producer, your audience is probably going to be a little bit more liberal. So just a, a generalization, which is probably not the best thing to base your decisions on. But at the same time, those brands have to really think hard and make a decision on do we want to step into social issues or do must we step into social issues because it benefits you know our audience and our brand so keeping up with the trends can be everything from that you know big you know meta trends that are uh, that can be devastatingly impactful to your business if you mess it up um, and it could also be just keeping up with the technology and what's new out there. I mean, right now in the social media space, marketers are running to Clubhouse to try to figure out how to, you know, monetize that and use it for brands and businesses. Um, you know, the, the smoke will, will settle uh, in the next few months and we'll figure out, oh, OK, here's some interesting ways that brands could use it. Right now, it's kind of a free for all and it's a little noisy. Um, but at the same time, and it might be that, you know, Clubhouse you know, goes the path of Ello and kind of disappears and becomes this little thing that serves a very smaller audience over here and, and isn't a big deal. We don't know yet. But again, staying on top of that stuff is kind of your job as a communications professional. And I think it kind of makes it fun to you know have something new and different to think about every day. When a client comes to you about like a societal issue and wanting to take a stance, do they already have kind of like, do they know what they want to do? And they're just like, hey, this is our idea. Or do they come to you kind of to come up with everything? In, in my experience, um, the taking a stand on societal issues typically comes as an, a recommendation to the brand from their agency partners and consultants, because we're the ones who, we, uh, quite frankly, we're the ones who don't have to take the risk, right? The, the brand is taking the risk. We're just making the recommendation that they do so. Um, certainly we're partners with the brand and we are taking a risk because if it flops and we recommended it, then it's our responsibility, partially anyway. But more often than not, it's the agency that's making that recommendation. However, there are a handful of very, you know, sort of visionary leaders and visionary brands um, that are like, call the agency and say, hey, we're taking a stand on this issue. Here's our vision for it. Help us bring it to life. Um, when you have a brand that leads the marketing and leads the communications, they tell the agency, this is what we're doing now, help us make it right. 
when you have a, a brand who might be a little bit more apprehensive, a little bit more risk averse, a little bit more conservative, the agency tip- typically will start that conversation and say, we feel like you should do this. And here's what that might look like. Um, and so uh, it's it's a little bit of both, but I would say more often than not, it's probably the latter, the agency taking the recommendation to the brand and convincing them that it's the right thing to do. Now, kind of flipping um, conversation, what has been one of the proudest moments of your career? Uh, wow, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I get a lot of pride when my team succeeds, does something that, you know, a challenge that the client threw out there for us. And, you know, we hunker down and, and you know, work really hard and, you know, kind of that, you know, overcoming all odds kind of story to produce something really awesome. Um, you know, a lot of times agencies are put under the gun and said, hey, we, we want you to develop a $100,000 website uh, with, you know, so many different layers and complicated code and all that kind of stuff, but we want it done in six months. And you, you, you just say, what? That's not possible. Um, but we actually last year were given about eight months to pull off a website quite like that. And we did. And not only did we, but a couple months later, we won awards for it. So that's when I get really proud is when the client challenges us and we meet the challenge. From a personal perspective, I also get a lot of pride out of the strategies that I personally come up with, the the ideas that were mine, you know, that certainly there's lots of people that contribute to them and the end result isn't exactly what I came up with, but it's some better version of it because the client collaborated with us, the internal team added layers to it. But when my nugget of an idea becomes something that is either recognized with awards or talked about or praised by the client, that's when you feel pretty good about what you do. And I'm sure you're also very proud about your books and your podcast. So take the time, fill us in, share all the details. So um, Winfluence, Reframing Influencer Marketing to Ignite Your Brand is the name of my new book. And basically in the course of developing influencer marketing strategies for our clients at Cornette over the past couple of years, I started to really land on some ideas that kind of positioned influencer marketing a little bit differently than most people think of it. At the same time, I'm continually seeing the mainstream media talk about influencers generally in a negative light. They've they've made influencer a bad word. Um, And, you know, there's an HBO documentary called Fake Famous that basically implies that all influencers uh, buy their followers and their uh, con- their their um, engagement is fake because it's all bit driven by bots and they're just lying and faking their lives in order to be able to get free stuff from from brands. That might be five, 10 percent of what's out there in terms of the world of influencers and content creators who are creating fantastic content and engagement online. So that aggravates me, the, the, the poor portrayal of influencers by the mainstream media, coupled with the fact that I'm doing some things that are sort of outside of the way normal people would think about influence marketing or influencer marketing. So the book is really about how I recommend we reframe how we think about influencers. And we need to focus on really the, the, the goal, the purpose, right? Why well, call it influencer marketing when what you're trying to do is influence. And if you just take that R off, it's a very simple, you know, sort of semantic switch. But when you think of it in terms of 
influence marketing, it opens up the horizons and the possibilities so much more. You're not handcuffed to social media. You're not handcuffed to Instagram and YouTube, which is typically where people think that influencers lie. Your influence partners, the people that you use to influence your audience could be Instagrammers, but they could also be the parent, uh, the, the leader of the local parent teacher organization. If your target audience is local parents, right? So thinking about the, in, in terms of the verb and the action of influencing rather than confining yourself to influencers in the, the context that we have them as online people with audiences on social networks. It just makes a, a much more uh, holistic strategic approach possible because you're thinking about ultimately what you're trying to do, the strategic purpose for the communication. So that's kind of what the book's about. And there's, there's one chapter in there that's here's how to build influence marketing stuff. There has to be a little how-to component, but it's really more of a kind of a strategic guide to thinking about influence in a much different way. We influence the influence marketing podcast is the companion you know piece to the book where I basically it's twice a week. I, I publish new episodes on Wednesdays and Fridays and I interview notable people in the influence space. So it might be, you know, the executives at some of the software companies that serve influence marketing. It might be brand side people who are talking about how they leverage uh, influence. It might be the influencers themselves. Um, I had uh, Tiffany uh, Forrest, Tiffany Mitchell Forrest, who's a uh, got a couple hundred thousand followers on uh, Instagram and has been in the news in the last couple of years. She's actually featured in the book as well. Um, about her influence and how she creates content. So I, I try to provide a little bit of inspiration for the agency and the brand side people, a little bit of inspiration and information for the software vendors and support people in the industry and influencers themselves on that podcast. Uh, Tuesday mornings, eight o'clock Eastern time. So seven central uh, we are, I do a show called Digging Deeper, which is live streamed on my social channels and Cornette's social channels, which are typically found at Team Cornette online. And it's kind of a version of what I described as in the Winfluence uh, podcast. I interview someone on this show, but it's really more based broadly based on marketing strategy and creativity. Uh, you know, we're a full service ad agency at, at Cornette and our kind of tagline is we make creativity your business advantage. So I try to interview people from, again, the brand side of things. Next week, I'm interviewing the CEO of Stucky's, the, the roadside restaurant chain. Um, uh, we try to interview, you know, really smart agency thinkers. Uh, we, we try to interview, um, you know, people who are, you know, out there doing it and creating great content, whether it be traditional advertising or uh, sort of social digital campaign. So strategy and creative focus, uh, much more broad about marketing than specific to influencers. And it's a live stream show, which is a lot of fun. So you can jump in the comments and ask questions and all that good stuff. Wow. I'm like ready to get the book, ready to go listen. Where do you see, or like what in your head is like the end goal for influencers or influence marketing? Um, where would you hope to see it in like two, three years? Either aren't using it or aren't using it well, uh, and maybe probably don't understand it very well either. It's still a very confusing thing to, to think, well, instead of, you know, spending my time and energy and money on television commercials or on, you know, traditional media outreach, you're, you're telling me that I'm going to spend money investing time to build a relationship with somebody on YouTube. That seems weird to me. Um, so some of the, you know, some of the more traditional and older, you know, business folks out there haven't quite gotten their heads wrapped around it. It's a very young practice. So in the next five years or so, I feel like we're going to get to a point where influence marketing is 
where you're using online influencers, but also offline influencers. And if, if my book actually moves this along faster, that'd be great. But um, if you're using it to influence rather than focusing on influencers, I think influence marketing is going to kind of become, you know, a, a large uh, discipline within marketing and communications that kind of encompasses public relations. It also encompasses investor relations it, in, in government relations. It, it kind of is almost a, a new, broader way to think of public relations because you're including all of these audiences that you might try to influence through community relations, investor relations, government relations, PR, media relations strategies. You're just encompassing those online influential people as well. So I'd like to see it, and I think it will become a much more broad and understood discipline as businesses and brands get more mature with it and using it and the, the technology and the tools get better as we move along as well. And I guess to close, if you want to give any incoming um, PR professionals, young PR professionals, your advice on the industry and yeah, anything like that. Wow. Uh, that's, that's a broad, a broad question. So I, I think the, the biggest thing that I would advise a young PR professional is to, you know, always, you know, keep your eyes and ears open um, and, and, and learn from everyone you're around. You can learn from someone who's, you know, a 30 year grizzled veteran, but you can also learn from, you know, a high school kid who just has some cool ideas. And I think that's one of the great things about the sort of democratization of media and social media in the last few years is, you know, I'm almost 50 years old and I get, you know, a lot of inspiration ideas and just knowledge from people who are 21, 22, because they're using the tools differently than I am. They're communicating with younger consumers more so than I am. I mean, my son's 16 and my daughter's tw uh, 13, but they don't talk to me. So, uh, you know, have, having, having someone who is in that younger generation who does and who will, I learn as much from the younger folks as younger folks would learn from me. So keep your eyes and ears open. Never be afraid to ask questions. Never be afraid to uh, assert your opinion or your perspective on it because the people who raise their hands and, and bring up the issues, uh, even at the risk of maybe sounding dumb, are the ones who you, folks like me who've been around a while turn to and go, she's smart. He's smart. We need to, we need to tap into them because they're, they're not only smart, but they're not afraid to raise their hand and, and say something or ask a question. And those are the people with the curiosity that typically are going to, you know, climb the ladder and, and do big things. Thank you so much, Jason, for joining us. I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners will as well. And go read Windfluence, people. I'm going to. I don't know about you. Thanks, Emma. It's great to be here. Thanks for listening. Tune in every other Wednesday for a new episode of PR Hangover. Follow us on Twitter at GV underscore PRSSA and visit GVPRSSA.com to get insights on this week's episode.